welcome to the Feminist Law Podcast. I'm your co-host, Courtney Jones. And I'm your co-host, Clara Tatefield. We're both co-founders of the Feminist Law Project and final year law students who are very passionate about feminism and the law. Today on the podcast, we're very fortunate to have Melinda Tankard-Reist, co-founder of Collective Shout and author of seven feminist publications and advocate against the sexual exploitation of women and girls. Would you please introduce yourself? Yes, I'd love to. And thanks for having me on your program. Uh, I'm a writer and um, a speaker and um, media commentator and, and activist campaigner for uh, women and girls for for many years. And as you've already said, uh, co-founder, I'm also movement director of Collective Shout for a World Free of Sexploitation. Thank you for that. Um, so I'd like to congratulate you on the publication of your recent book um, called He Chose Porn Over Me. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to put this book together and um, why do you think it was important to have this published? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a journalist by background and uh, I've always felt that I should use my writing to document, um, I suppose, give voice to stories that haven't received the attention they deserve. Uh, Most of my books do that. And this book uh, came about as a result of a Facebook post late last year where I shared the story of a young woman who was due to get married and discovered that her fiancé was a compulsive porn user and hadn't told her. So she called off the wedding in the same week of, as that she discovered uh, this uh, c- confronting reality. And I shared this story and a number of women commented on Facebook and said, oh, I wish I'd known ahead of time. I wish I'd called off my wedding. I wish someone had warned me, don't date men who use porn. And I started to see all these responses and I started to share some of those responses through other platforms. More women started sharing their stories. And I thought, I think there's a book here. So I started to work on it. It came together very quickly. Uh, it was basically started in December and published in July. Um, I let my publishers know this idea. They thought it was a good idea, Spinifex Press, and 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 publish it. So it was really as a result of those initial uh, stories that then grew and turned into a book of, of, of 25 women and their lived experience of being in relationships with habitual porn-consuming men. Yeah, and some of the stories, as I as I mentioned before we started recording, I've I've been reading some of them, and they are very harrowing. So, when you were putting this book together, um, what stood out to you the most when speaking to these women whose partners were were compulsive porn users? What stood out for me was the total lack of respect for women's boundaries, the overblown sense of entitlement, the expectation that partners would provide sex on demand, participate in sex acts they found degrading and demeaning, and most distressing, the level of violence that the women experienced. Um, many women uh, described being mistreated, being abused, being having to provide these really degrading, debased acts. Women described being um, strangled, being choked, some women passed out. Uh, Yeah, the level of violence which was inspired by porn, um, the fact that men could be sexually aroused by uh, 
perpetrating violent, aggressive sex acts on a partner that they were supposed to love and care for. I think that really stood out for me, as well as the gaslighting by friends, family, so-called therapists and counsellors, how often they would side with the male, how often women were told there's nothing wrong with porn, it's just you, you must be hung up, you've got to learn to loosen up, relax more. And that was quite shocking how lonely and isolated women were, how gaslit they were by other people in their lives. So going off from the violent nature that you just um, spoke about with regards to the porn that these men were consuming, um, could you please talk a bit more about the harmful impact or the other harmful impacts um, that porn has um, on women and intimate relationships more generally and how that porn may contribute to violence against the women and girls um, mm. and how it may affect men's behaviour and perception of women generally? Yes. yes. Well, the women themselves described feeling like they were blow-up dolls that they were living sex dolls. They noticed that their porn consumption, the porn consumption, they noticed that their partner's porn consumption changed the way their partner acted towards them. They said things like, we only ever had porn style sex. We never made love. They described mechanical sex. Uh, they described um, completely uh, unreasonable demands of their partner. One uh, woman was providing sex four times a day, even when she was pregnant. They also experienced uh, a troubling relationship with their own bodies uh, because they felt they couldn't compete. So they internalized their partner's mistreatment of them. They felt maybe there was something wrong with them. You know, they, they couldn't compete to what their partners were seeing in pornography. Uh, the women described, you know, feeling inadequate, the awful feeling that I simply cannot compete with the images he was filling his mind with, said Jackie. She also said that she felt incredibly devalued as a wife and a sexual being. A younger woman, Amalia from the Netherlands, 31, said, learning about his porn usage opened me up to insecurities I'd never had before. I'd always hated my thighs, but I used to like the shape and size of my breasts. After he revealed he found so-called porn actresses attractive, I started to develop immense insecurities about my, my breasts. Uh, feeling, feeling degraded, yeah, feeling used, feeling like his right to get off uh, on whatever he wanted to, uh, yeah, just made her feel very devalued that uh, his right to ejaculate to any image he wanted to triumphed over uh, empathy, over compassion, over care, over mutual intimacy in their uh, relationships and many of the women felt neglected so there was a segment of women who felt uh, that they had to provide the porn star experience but there was another segment of women who were completely ignored uh, uh, because he was just so into uh, porn and consuming porn day and night everywhere. I mean that was something that really emerged from the book was that the men literally consumed porn everywhere at home in the garage at work in the car 
in the work truck, on an aeroplane, in toilets, at bus tour, rest, rest stops multiple times a day, even when they were supposed to be caring for, for a baby in the family. So they were some of the uh, women's experiences. And in regard to violence uh, and porn as a driver of violence, this is being increasingly demonstrated in the global literature, which links porn with humiliation, degradation, making men and boys more tolerant of sexual harassment and violence, desensitizing them to sexual uh, cruelty. And I have evidence of this from a frontline domestic violence worker in the Gold Coast in Australia. Her name's Di McLeod and she, she wrote to me, and I don't think we need any more evidence than this. She says, in the past few years, we have had a huge increase in intimate partner rape of women from 14 to 80 plus. The biggest common denominator is consumption of porn by the offender, believing women are up for it 24 seven, ascribing to the myth that no means yes and yes means anal, oblivious to injuries caused and never ever considering consent. We've seen a huge increase in deprivation of liberty, physical injuries, torture, drugging, filming and sharing footage without consent. So men are being aroused by pain and by suffering of women and you know it is women that are are really bearing the brunt of this and suffering untold uh, damage physically mentally uh, emotionally from porn's conditioning and socializing of men and boys yeah so obviously there are a lot of really awful impacts that pornography is having on women's lives and intimate relationships in general um, and one thing that stood out to me was how many women didn't realize that their partners had problems until years into their relationship. So going on from that, what are some of the warning signs that women can look out for if they think their partner might be compulsively using pornography? Well, it's wonderful that every contributor offered advice at the end of her chapter. And uh, that advice including included red flags and warning signs. So I really commend that to any woman that's going through this right now. Women said that uh, they noticed a change in the way he treated them. They noticed a change in personality. Uh, they, some of them described the theft of the man they knew, that they could not recognize the man they once knew, that he became cruel um, and dominant and selfish. Selfishness was a big theme was always making excuses for why he couldn't spend time with her or the family became neglectful, uh, didn't, didn't really care about her, about the children, about the family finances. They would notice things like making excuses uh, not, to, not to go to bed, uh, being up all night online or suddenly shutting down the laptop lid if she walked into the room. Uh, suspicious behaviour around phones or discovering other phones, discovering uh, USBs, uh, discs full of full of porn. Uh, yes, yeah, secretive, secretive behaviour, things like that. Uh, sort of strange financial transactions or money uh, unaccounted for, money going missing. Uh, those kind of behaviours. Thank you for that. Um, and following on from what you said, do you think mm. that so-called softcore porn is just mm. as dangerous and harmful as hardcore violence porn? 
Well, it's all it's all a continuum, isn't it? And I'm not sure how you'd even define it now because the most the fact is the most popular genres of porn are the most violent. And that's what the research shows. So uh, rape porn, uh, sadism, uh, torture porn, you know, acts of extreme uh, degradation, violence, uh, suffering of women, gagging, multiple penetrations. Uh, that's what we know. So it's, it's, it's kind of irrelevant to talk about so-called soft porn when the most popular genres are the most violent. And I'm I just come back from the Philia conference in Wales and I became friends with a French lawyer actually uh, Lorraine you may you may know her and she's um, a young lawyer and she's running some extremely amazing cases against uh, pornographers in in France but anyway she told me a story and again I just don't know what more evidence that uh, we need uh, she's become friends with uh, a man who uh, had been involved in uh, terrorist organisations, uh, primarily uh, Daesh, which I think is a, an offshoot of ISIS. And uh, he told her that before every uh, terrorist action, uh, they, the men would gather and pump themselves up on porn. So uh, porn is terrorism. Porn is contributing to to. There's so much um, violence and aggression. You know, it's teaching men to eroticize dominance. It's teach it's teaching them uh, to to get off on uh, acts of extreme sexual cruelty and humiliation and degradation. And we're educating an entire generation with with this content. You know, pornography is the biggest department of education in in the world we're teaching boys that rape is merely entertain entertainment that women actually want to be raped uh, that they they enjoy it that they that they desire it so you know that's 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 the reality and you know men aren't googling you know searching for so-called uh, ethical porn which is a is a myth uh you know that this is the kind of porn that they that they are seeking out, that they want. You know, when the war in Ukraine started, uh, the most popular search term on Pornhub uh, was Ukrainian girl. And there were entire Reddit threads uh, of uh, men seeking live rape footage from, from the Ukraine. Again, what more evidence do we need about uh, the educative impact of porn and what uh, so many men are, are seeking out. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely terrifying. And, and with the proliferation of online internet pornography, um, a lot of anti-porn activists um, talk about how porn has become more intertwined with our day-to-day -day lives, for example, like in advertising and media. And over time, it's also become more hardcore. So why do you think this is and, and what can we do about it? Well, it's become more hard, hardcore because uh, the consumer has become desensitized to what existed before. And the pornographers themselves, the porn producers actually say this, that they have to uh, create a more debased and degrading and dehumanizing content uh, for men to be aroused by because they're not aroused by what they saw before. So it's all like it's all a continuum and 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 it leads to uh, these violent, sexually aggressive 
acts being being mass consumed you know this is propaganda this is indoctrination of of men this is the colonization of porn on a global scale of you know pretty much every male in the entire world any places where mobile phones have arrived uh, the treatment of women gets gets worse uh, places that where there was never porn before and uh, now the men consume porn and we're seeing the results of that being played out on on a global a global scale. We're also seeing more adolescent boys in sexual assault statistics in Australia and globally. And and this is this is the reason for it. You know, we've embedded new codes of conduct in in boys and men. We've taught them that women enjoy aggressive treatment, such as being hit, choked, subjected to to gagging and multiple penetrations. We've taught, we're teaching men that sexual conquest and, and domination are, are all important. And, you know, what how, this does not all go well for civilization, for, for society. What kind of society do, do we want? I mean, to me, that's the, the main question here. What do we want a society that's devoid of, of empathy and respect and care and, and mutuality, authentic human connection? You know, I think that's what we're, we're losing. Yeah, and I mean, you even shared uh, recently on on your personal Instagram, I think, about what's been happening with schoolies and the the pressure to engage in this non consensual violent behavior. So it's absolutely infiltrating like younger boys as well. The stories are getting worse. Uh, so most of my days, I'm in schools. Just this year alone, um, my colleague uh, Daniel and, and I reached twenty one thousand students. And the stories this year are the worst stories I've ever heard in many years of public engagement. And I can say the stories from the last three months are worse than anything I've ever heard. And those stories were told to me by what is in Australia grades fives and, and six. So we're looking at 10, 11, 12 year olds. Girls are telling me that boys are threatened to rape them or to rape their mothers and their sisters if they don't send nudes. Are boys calling girls disgusting names every day? Boys calling female teachers the C word. Uh, that's um, an in increasing issue. The phenomenon of sexual moaning, which I've written about. Uh, boy, boys sexually groaning, moaning and grunting at girls, including in years fives and sixes and including to female teachers, more female teachers telling me they're leaving teaching over this, are boys watching porn at school, on the school bus, at the school camp, forcing younger kids to look at uh, violent pornography. One of the worst stories I heard recently was a teacher tell me that she'd overheard a 12-year-old boy asking another 12-year-old boy, how do you know that you're having sex? And the second boy answered, when she starts to cry. Again, what more evidence do we need, right? We're teaching even young boys that um, sex should hurt, that she should be in pain. You should, you should put her in pain. She should be bruised and scarred and, and beaten. Uh, this is what they think sex is. Again, uh, this does not bode well for us as a civilization. Yeah, that is really terrifying. And you obviously mentioned that the stories have got worse um, in the past three months than ever before in terms of what you've heard. Um, mm. Obviously, with the trend, it kind of seems like it could get even worse. Um, mm. So what kind of you know extent do you think that could get to? And what can actually be done to stop this? 
I don't even want to think about how it getting worse because I, I'm barely coping with what I'm hearing now. You know, hundreds of girls are disclosing these behaviours to me in schools and I just think if it's as bad as this now, I, I didn't even want to think about what they might be telling me next year. I mean, we're talking mass sexual assault, sexual uh, harassment, girls being groped and touched, demanded to send nudes. I'm now being asked to speak in, in primary schools to, to really young children, you know, on these issues. Uh, I, I didn't want to think about what I might hear next year. So what can we do about it? Well, we've been pushing here and uh, there's our, our global partners are urging globally to see proof of age protections for children so that uh, you at least have one obstacle in the way of children uh, clicking a button and landing on rape, torture, sadism, incest, porn. And we are working hard for this in Australia the previous federal government had instructed our e-safety commission to come up with a plan, a roadmap to roll out a proof of age protection system for children, but we feel that uh, it could be derailed uh, because of the power of vested interests here, including the sex industry, which doesn't want any regulation or any restriction. They just want business as usual, of course. Uh, so, other things we'd like to see, you know, this is happening, we've seen this already with Pornhub being brought to account. That's been a, a brilliant global campaign that we have uh, been proud to be part of. You know, um, millions of videos being removed, civil actions now and criminal actions against the porn industry, um, Instagram banning uh, Pornhub's account, um, the Canadian Ethics Committee running an inquiry uh, because Pornhub is situated, MindGeek, the parent company, is situated in Canada. You know, the Canadian Parliament's Ethics Committee uh, inquiry into a Pornhub. You know, there's more pressure on the porn industry now to account for rape videos, non-consensual image sharing, trafficking, child sexual exploitation material. So, you know, we'll just keep fighting. Uh, I, we'd love to see... A, a civil case launched globally on behalf of every every woman and every girl because every woman and every girl is at risk and under threat by this by this content you know we're we're all harmed we're all at at risk and you know there's so much evidence now of the harms being done by the global pornography industry the global porn industrial complex uh, which is built on the bodies of women and girls, which trades in the subjugation of women, of stripping away the human rights of women, the status of women. So it needs to be fought on, on every front. That makes sense. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, moving on to talk about more of the feminist side of pornography, um, if there is one. Um, so some pro-porn or pro-sex work activists have argued that it is possible to create a feminist porn industry. Um, I was wondering if you'd mind sharing what your take is on this. Uh, it's a PR spin. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a, a myth. Again, how many men do you reckon are sitting around doing a search for so-called ethical porn? Uh, it's not ethical. It's still, um, you know, 
built on the bodies of women and girls and you know so-called feminist pornographers you know they make porn based on for example uh lesbian fantasies mother-daughter fantasies is that ethical like who's defining ethical here I do not trust this business to uh define ethics you know I've seen enough of their content it's not it's not ethical it's a smokescreen uh, for the main industry the mainstream industry uh, which again trades on the violation of the bodies of of women. That's what it's that's what it's built on. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's, it's a distraction, a total distraction, and yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And if we if we move on now to talk a bit more about um, sexual exploitation or sexploitation more broadly, um, um, you've been campaigning against all sorts of different forms of sexploitation from the sexualization of women and girls in advertising, um, for example, in, in ad campaigns for, for clothing, to, um, to, to trying to have the, the sale of childlike sex dolls removed from Etsy. So what do you think is the most important issue regarding the sexual exploitation of women and girls today? They're all important. It's hard to single out one because uh, the sexualization of girls and the objectification of women contributes to the formation of attitudes which lead to behaviours. And so the global research summarised in a meta-analysis found that objectified portrayals of women contribute to a diminished view of women's competence, morality and humanity. So... Uh, that's why we continue to tackle sexualization and objectification in all its forms. That's why we take on uh, companies like, like Etsy. You know, in the year 2020, we in the year 20, in the year 2021, we had 20 victories against companies. Uh, seven of those victories were global. And uh, that's just one of the encouraging things about our work is that thousands of people have got involved and said, you know, enough is enough. My biggest concern is for young people, for young women, what they're telling me, you know, they'll say, quote, he went for my throat without even asking the expectation that immediately some random guy will be able to you know, choke her, gag her, ejaculate on her face. I think that 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 really troubles me. Also, the work my colleague Caitlin Roper has done, she's just launched a new book uh, within a month of mine. We both launched our books at Philia. Her book is called Sex Dolls, Robots and Woman Hating. This global uh, market, this global trade in replica uh, women and replica children. So the bodies of uh, the anatomically correct, life-like, often custom-made uh, bodies of replica uh, children uh, and uh, replica child body parts. You know, this is a global trade. And what this means for children, what it means for women, uh, and Caitlin's book documents this brilliantly, uh, so I commend that book uh, to your listeners as well, also published by Spinifex Press. So as I said, it's hard for me to just pick one thing because all these things intersect, you know, sexualization, objectification, porn, 
trafficking, sex dolls, robots, violence against women on a global scale, a global epidemic, uh, all these things intersect. And so uh, all of them need to be need to be addressed. Thank you for sharing that. Um, mm. So I'm wondering, going off from what you just said, how far can the reporting tool online go in taking mm. down such campaigns for regular users and does it even have an impact? Mm. The reporting tools we have not found effective. Uh, my colleague Lynn Swanson Kennedy at Collective Shout uh, spends days and days reporting, for example, child sexual exploitation material on Instagram. Three out of a hundred pieces of uh, child sexual exploitation material that she reported have been removed. Only three, three. Uh, so the reporting tools seem often to be uh, a bit token, a bit like, oh, we want to look like, you know, big tech wants to look like it's doing something. What is it actually doing? Uh, there seems to be a little bit more happening now with um, with Twitter and removing child some child exploitation material. That's been a long-running campaign uh, by uh, a woman called uh, Eliza. And uh, so, but it's, you know, it's, it's inconsistent. And so we're calling on big tech to stop putting their profits, their vested interest against the well-being of women and girls in the broader, broader community. We want to see, you know, consistent reporting tools, but we also want to see them stopping this at the source. Like, why is it up to citizens to do all this work? You know, um, the, the ethical obligations, the corporate social responsibility obligations of these companies um, should require them to address this issue rather than to leave it up to small nonprofits, NGOs, citizens, you know, but these companies so often offload their ethical obligations to, to citizens, to the, the, the common people, you know, to do all the work. You know, my team at Collective Shout, there's like four of us and it, it's, a, it's a lot of work, you know. <laughs> It's a lot of work. Why can't these uh, companies demonstrate some uh, some ethics and stop this content? Get more content moderators. You know, have more severe severe penalties. You know, governments globally should there should be more severe penalties against uh, big tech uh, for hosting and disseminating um, what is propaganda, what is indoctrination, what is extreme, you know, violence and degradation. You know, it's been called the memification of violence. Kids think that the violence is just, you know, entertainment now. Gaming companies, for example, profiting uh, from violence, depicting, you know, the rape and abuse of, of women, you know, treated as entertainment. Uh, so, yeah, this has to be a, an all of community, a global approach uh, if we are going to make any, any inroads. So we continue to push for... Uh, big tech uh, companies for platforms, social media platforms, um, ISPs and telcos to, to demonstrate some responsibility and stop disseminating uh, harmful, damaging, demonstrably dangerous content. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right that the corporate bodies that are, that are hosting this damaging illegal content should be held responsible for it. But like you said, unfortunately, right now, a lot of the responsibility to to fight this lies with the individual. So, um, going on from that, what can we as individuals do day to day to fight against the sexual exploitation of women and girls, both online and off? 
Well, we urge people, uh, individuals who care about these issues to act personally and to act politically, act personally, uh, boycott the companies. So this time of year, we release our annual corporate. So we release this time of year, we released our annual cross them off your Christmas list. And that is an annual blacklist of repeat company offenders, corporate offenders who objectify women and sexualize girls in their products and services. Uh, we have that blacklist on our website now and uh, so that uh, our supporters can see who not to buy from. We also have a list of corporate pledge partners. These are companies that have pledged not to objectify women, not to profit from the bodies of women and girls for profit, and we encourage our supporters to, to buy from them instead. Uh, of course, as well as boycotting, um, joining Collective Shout, uh, getting involved, running, supporting our global campaigns, signing our petitions, having conversations with, with young people, helping to equip them to resist porn, to resist porn culture, to resist harmful cultural messages, toxic messages that are not going to set them up to flourish, to have, you know, healthy, respectful uh, relationships. We also urge our people to uh, lobby their governments. You know, it's too much for uh, individuals alone. It's certainly too much for uh, parents. Uh, we need our governments to step up to the plate to uh, move uh, laws, reining in big tech, reining in uh, the porn industry, protecting uh, children from porn. So as I said, acting personally and uh, acting collectively, uh, also personally, you know, modelling something better for for children and young people, reading everything you can on these issues, supporting Collective Shout, supporting similar organisations and movements around the world. That's how change happens, you know, agitating for cultural change, social transformation, not just turning a blind eye. You know, it is a global village and we are all harmed, all affected in negative ways uh, by porn, by the sex industry, you know, by the, the global domination and colonisation of the porn industry, uh, why should they be allowed to reign supreme and do whatever they want uh, at the, uh, you know, complete um, harm and risk to every, everybody else? Thank you for sharing that. So Thank is our website and we're on all of the social media pages as well. And uh, I am as well for anyone that would like to follow me personally. Thank you for that. Um, just as we wrap up, um, I was wondering if there's anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? No, I think uh, just to say we'd love to have your support. We are wanting to expand Collective Shout globally. There was significant interest in us doing that uh, as a result of the Affiliate Conference. And so we are now reaching out to, to anyone that would like to expand the work of Collective Shout globally. Uh, to expand our, our global partners. You know, we want to see uh, global laws against child sex abuse dolls and replica children are being used for uh, sexual abuse. Uh, we want to see uh, civil rights actions against the porn industry. We want to see children protected from porn on a, on a global scale. So this is going to take a, a global effort. So feel free to get in touch with us through our Collective Shout uh, website. Uh, and we're hoping to be back overseas again next year to 
uh, to continue these conversations, to equip others to to carry this uh, to carry this work out. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you obviously mentioned that um, our listeners could get involved with Collective Shout, um, so that's really helpful. Um, if they would also like to read your books, where can they do so, please? Well, you can uh, get the books through Spinifex Press, a Spinifex Press uh, website. Uh, the books are available now in the UK and in Europe, and uh, we, we we would love your readers to uh, to get uh, a hold of our books and that the new book he chose, Porn Over Me, Women harmed by men who use porn. Um, yeah, we'd, 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 uh, we'd, love, we'd love your readers to, to get a hold of that book. Thank you so much for joining today. It's been a pleasure to, to discuss these issues with you. I really thank you for caring about these issues and for giving me the opportunity to engage uh, with, your, with your audience. Thank you so much. Thank you. In today's Feminist News Roundup, a survey by England's health and care regulator, the Care Quality Commission, has found that women's experiences of care during childbirth have been witnesses to a concerning decline in the last five years. Also in today's Roundup, a Paris court has dismissed a feminist group's claims that the Miss France beauty pageant selection process was discriminatory. The plaintiffs argued discrimination on the grounds that contestants had to be taller than 1.7 meters or 5 foot 6 inches, single and representative of beauty. Protesters at McGill University in Quebec shut down a talk on sex versus gender that was being hosted by the University Centre for Human Rights and Legal Pluralism. The discussion was supposed to be on the sex versus gender identity debate in the UK and the supposed divorce of LGB from T, but the talk ultimately did not happen after being shut down. Finally, the debate about sex work regulations in European countries has just reached the European Parliament, where the Committee on Women's Rights and Gender Equality is preparing a report on regulations for the sex industry. The report is likely to recommend some prohibitions, despite EU countries mostly differing in their approach towards the industry. If you have any suggestions for this podcast, let us know directly via email at contact at feministlaw.org. Please also visit our website at feministlaw.org and follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn to keep up to date with our latest articles, podcasts, newsletters, and exciting news. The music for this podcast was sourced from pixabay.com. Thanks for listening.